Hello and welcome to this week's BossCast. I'm Andrew Teacher and I'm joined by Ellen Q's Executive Director for Development and Sales, Vicky Savage. Morning, fantastic to see you here. Good morning. So lots to talk about. Ellen Q, one of the biggest housing associations in Britain. You've got, a again, one of the biggest development pipelines in the sector and obviously lots of legacy stuff as well that you're working through like most well not just housing associations but anybody in britain that owns housing and probably in the states as well so why don't we start with your career and how you've gotten to where you are now because there's not a huge number of female development directors in or not just in the g15 but in the wider property so i'm interested on how you have ended up where you are at one of the biggest not just the biggest rps one of the biggest property companies in europe well andrew i feel very lucky that i'm in my dream job and somebody said to me the other day about work-life balance and how do you do it with family and work and everything else where I think that if you do have the dream job, it isn't like hard work because it's something you feel really passionate about. My dad was a bus driver. My mum was a cleaner. That's hard work. What Mm. I do isn't hard work. It's great. It's great fun what we do. So I started my career in housing associations. I have worked at every grade within the development department, which is very useful because people in my team will say, can't do it or that don't work. And I do have that operational knowledge as well as the strategic knowledge of being on the exec. I'm just saying, don't be so blooming lazy, go and do it. I think <laughs> Back everyone, in my day. <laughs> well, I think everybody has that. And that's something that a lot of bosses I speak to, they say they, in the, there's a bit of a, you know, lazy-itis has become more of a problem now than it perhaps was. I think we've got to be really careful that we don't become dinosaurs and say it was different in my days. Mm. How often do you hear when exam results come out that, oh, well, the exams are really easy now. And when I was doing my A-levels, it wasn't easy. It was much more difficult. So I think that we have got to really be careful that we don't become dinosaurs and we don't say that the young are lazy or the young are... uh, The word I hear a lot is entitled, you know? Mm. Sometimes if you know your rights in the workplace and you know your value, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. What I would say, you know, as someone that's set up a few businesses over the years and work with a lot of young people, some of whom are still with me, and that had equity in the business that I sold. I think there are different mindsets out there and you will find people that expect to come in and be CEO in a business within three years (laughs) and other people that are just willing to roll their sleeves up. And I think invariably the latter will be the ones that thrive. Uh, Exactly. And I think that what I say to people, I do a lot of mentoring and I say to people, you have to put in the shift Mm. because I think in any organisation, in any business, We all know those people who are committed, who are hardworking, take ownership, are accountable for what they're doing, accountable for timescales, for outputs. That's really, really important. But I do also support a work-life balance. And when people have said to me, now that I am in the dream job that I've always really wanted, you know, to be exec lead for development in L&Q, no better job in the world. People say to me, what do you regret? I do think I spent long, long hours in the office as I was building my career. Yeah. And I did have three small children. I was a single mum of three small children. Wow. And when I look, and now they're all young men, and I think, where did that time go? And I think, oh dear, a lot of that time went on me being in the office. Mm. So I don't think there's anything wrong with companies being family friendly and not just for mums, for dads as well. You know, I support dads collecting their kids from school. They should. 
Yeah. So it's all about balance, isn't it? It's yeah. about a fair contract. You know, you give a fair day's work to your company and your company look after you and your company help you flourish, help you grow your career. And that's what we do in l We want people to stay. I love internal promotions. I think that it's a great thing if people feel they can build their career at our company. I do think a lot of young people, they move around a lot. A development project will take four years. You never see the end of a development project well, at you start. Planning can take four years yes. in London now, can't it? So Yeah. So I think it's good that, you know, you do your time in a company in the development field because you then see your output and there's nothing better than seeing that piece of land that you bought four years ago and now you're handing over keys to a family in desperate housing need. So what's happening right now in the development world? Obviously, LNQ's previous boss, David Montague, you know, good good pal of ours, mm. you know, he made some bold promises on development. Yeah. And that was obviously in a different lifestyle now, given where things have gone to in the last few months. But what does the broader development horizon look like? And not just for LNQ, but from what you're seeing, how is this different or better or worse or just mm. how has it shifted and can you remember a time in your career where it's been like this mm. we always tend to say we've never seen anything like this and that mm. word unprecedented has become a bit of a word of the moment so yeah it's you know, a new sustainability isn't it yes. challenging times <laughs> uncertainty you know. yes so you know brexit then the pandemic then the ukrainian war all of these things I do think that you've got to be creative. You've got to look at the hand you're served and how you can make the most of it. Mm. We are saying that we have a ambition to build 3,000 homes a year. And we now are merged with Trafford Housing Trust in Manchester. Yeah. So all our homes will not be in London. They will also be in the Northwest. Mm. Great ambitions for the Northwest. So our stated ambition is 3,000 homes a year. The challenges are immense. So inflation for me i would say that that is the most tricky thing that we are facing at the moment and that's not just in development if you look at the maintenance service that we have to provide for 120,000 families the maintenance costs are going up and you know in some areas 15% so you know headline inflation at 10% well we're seeing inflationary costs in the construction sector more like 15%. So that has all got to calm down. That's got to come under control a bit. We've got to find a way of levelling up. G15 colleagues have said that some contractors will not do fixed price contracts. They're walking away from fixed price contracts. And people are even finding it hard to get firms at the moment who want to tender. So we need confidence. We need stability. We need a period of calm in order to go through and bravely build. Mm. What I must say in the areas that we work... Desperate housing need, that's going nowhere. You could say it's even getting worse. Yeah. So the desperate housing need is there. So it's up to us to try and find the solutions to meet with it. And is there a degree to which people, investors, politicians, the public, customers, whoever, simply don't really understand the breadth of housing associations mm. and, and what they deliver? Because, you know, it's very easy to haul organizations over the coals and you know you'll typically have one or two panoramas a year yes. won't you where they'll come yeah. out and say what evil so-and-so's you are for all sorts of mm. reasons and the reality is vicky you've got one hundred twenty thousand odd homes in your portfolio so you're always going to have a few disgruntled people but i'd argue that 
certainly since the global financial crisis, there's been a range of things that L&Q and other major housing associations provide that have often got nothing to do with developing homes. Yes. A lot of these things are essentially things that we as society take for granted, supporting youth culture, supporting training, supporting older people, supporting those that perhaps just simply don't have support from the state. And I think if people were more aware of that, you as a sector would probably have a lot more sympathy and doubtless you'd have a lot more public and governmental support. I think it's a really tricky one, Andrew. And I do find that as a sector, we can be quite humble about what we do. And I think that we look at the very high profile service failures and the way we let down some of our residents, whether it be through damp, mould, repairs that are not being tackled, antisocial behaviour issues. And so we sort of feel, should we be singing from the hills about all these fantastic other things we're doing when we're not getting those basics right every time? Mm. You're very kind by saying that, of course, you're going to get service failures when you're dealing with 120,000 properties, but we want to get it right each and every time. And so we've set ourselves a very high bar there. Mm. But you are right. We do fantastic work and not just LNQ. All housing associations do fantastic work in terms of getting people job ready, training schemes. We do a lot of work with schools, getting people going in schools, telling them about the wonderful construction industry and careers. We support a boxing club. We support lots of smaller charities. And that work is something that you're right we just do it it's just something that mm. housing associations do I'm also involved with a medium-sized housing association outside of London I'm on their board which one's that Freebridge Housing Association in Norfolk yeah. fantastic organization operating in West Norfolk completely different set of issues to London so it's really good really personally challenging for me to look at how I can assist in that board context but Freebridge do great work locally mm. they probably easier to get planning and- in Norfolk than London I, I guess yes Yes, yes. <laughs> and, so and I think up that... and down the country, we are doing all this added value stuff. And it's how you capture that and how you publicise that at the same time as accepting that we've got to be great housing organisations and get the basics right each mm. and every time. And how are you coping with the legacy of Grenfell? Because mm. we've obviously been dealing with that inquiry for the last five yes. years. That's been the most depressing game of past the parcel that I think we've ever seen. But you're on the sharp end of that because Mm. you're the one and your organisation, along with all the others, have got to be making sure all of your homes are fire safe Mm. and dealing largely with problems that you haven't created, but you're getting blamed for. Mm. So tell us what that's now like. It doesn't really feel like we've moved any closer towards any sort of closure. Yeah, I think that it was an absolute game changer more than anything I've experienced in my career. And it's hard to see at the moment what good has come out of it, but I think a lot of good has come out in terms of building safety. When you walk around building sites now, everything is being photographed, everything is being recorded. There are really good IT systems that help you in that. Mm. So your record keeping, I go onto site and I almost see a checker checking the checker. You know, there is a real emphasis on building fabric and how we are building in a way that our sector was not doing correctly for many, many years. So I think the new homes we're building now, the safety standards are really top. Mm. And that was a direct result of us all standing back and saying, 
you know, what's going on here? How are we building our buildings? How are we making sure? How are we checking? How are we regulating what we are doing? So that is a good thing. Building legacy is ever so challenging. And within my division, we actually have a specialist team that deal with all of our legacy projects. The thing that happens, and it's interesting you saying about passing the buck with Grenfell, every legacy project that I've been involved with everybody points to somebody else. So the builder will say it's a design fault. The designer will say that it's a building fault. Oh, and then there's the structural engineer there. And then there's you as client. What did you agree? What didn't you agree? Mm. Oh, and then there's building regs. What role they had? I think we Well, the fact that we privatised that, was it in the 80s? Yes. Um, Yes. I I was probably still at home watching the Transformers on TV. (laughs) But we had Andy Hume, the boss of Hyde Housing, in on propcast and he was talking about hyde's court case victory against its contractor has that made any difference i believe it has and good for hyde i think we should all really commend hyde you know because we all have litigation cases i have numerous litigation cases but i think that hyde were the first to get there in court and you know we in our negotiations now will say to house builders are you aware of the Hyde case? Mm. Are you aware of the judgment there? Because they did get, as I understand it, they got full costs, you know, waking watch, loss of rent, remediation costs. So, you know, it is making the house builder and the contractor who's saying, not my fault, Gov, which is what they will do and point to a whole cast of thousands that's involved in a building project. So good for Hyde. I do think it's going to help the sector. Yeah, and that's a good thing. And I guess the other element of legacy that you're dealing with mm. within L&Q, within development, it's not just the safety aspects, but also the environmental aspects and the need now. It's not even just about carbon, but it's about energy. Yes. And, and I suppose the fact that, you know, if you're a geek like me, you'll read through the English <laughs> Housing Survey every January, February and look yeah. at data and stats on decent homes. Yes. And they're not getting any better, are they? No, they're not. And I do think that since we've had the energy crisis, people have thought more about the performance of their homes. I think that, as you say, the whole sustainability agenda, you had certain folk in an organisation or certain people who were a bit geeky and thought about Mm. building fabrics and sustainability scoring and things like that. I think we now, faced with the high energy bills, everybody is saying, you know, my windows are not good enough. My roof installation is not good enough. You know, how can we bolster the home to make the home more energy efficient in this time of crippling bills for people? Mm. And of course, our residents are worst affected. The poor are always worst affected. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a challenge though, isn't it? Because I suppose there's also the carbon trade-off of double travel glazing, which some cases will or won't work. Yes. Or what's the payback period? How do you structure the actual financials of it and i suppose in some cases you're going to have to sort of send people rolls of rubber tackings go around the windows but but even silly little things like that can have an impact can't they i think what we've decided to do and this has been a difficult decision we have set aside 1.9 billion pounds to spend in the next 10 years on our existing buildings. Which, for context, and, is roughly the same size as Granger's entire portfolio. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's an astonishing amount I mean, of money. How many noughts is that? It's a really scary number. But what we're saying is that if somebody is in need of a new roof, we'll go in and do the windows. So if the windows are coming towards end of life, mm. do that at the same time. So to try and make it really customer-focused, customer-led, so you don't get somebody going in 
and doing your roof one year, they then come and cause you a load of disruption by doing your windows the next year. Yeah. Then they come a few years later and put you in a new kitchen. Which is so, the problem you have with the roads, yes, basically. Yes, exactly. Associations like L&Q, you must remember that we grew up with street properties. That is how we became. So, you know, when L&Q started, it started by purchasing one home in Greenwich, one street property in Greenwich. So a lot of our properties are street properties. They are very popular you know, residents like it. Everyone wants that front door, that back door, the little garden. Very, very popular properties. But it can be a real challenge, those Victorian, Edwardian properties, yeah. to get them up to standard. That is a challenge for us. And is there a need for more government intervention? It's very easy to say government should pay for this, government should pay for this. Mm. Or is it a balance also of associations like L&Q doing more deals with the private sector? I mean, I mean Hyde, we mentioned Hyde, let's stay with Hyde, yeah. but Hyde before... Andy Hume left, they announced a partnership with M&G Real Estate yes. around shared ownership housing. And obviously over the years, you collectively as organisations have gone to the bond markets yes, repeatedly. very much so. For some people, that's a bit difficult to swallow, isn't mm. it? I think in terms of large associations, we work with the commercial sector all the time. Currently at L&Q, I've got 17 live JVs. Wow. We're working with all the big players and we love working in JV. There's so much of that basket of risk. You know, you're spreading your risk. Mm. You're also learning best practice. You know, lots of information sharing, lots of collaboration. So, you know, we're a real fan of JVs. JVs will form a large part of our program going forward. I think at least a third of what we do will be in JVs. So I think that we're really comfortable with working with the commercial sector. And, you know, like Hyde, we are talking to the investors as well to see how you can unlock opportunity. The thing is, Andrew, I do think the deal's got to be right for both parties. And, you know, sometimes the conditions are not quite right for us. So, you know, you've got to make sure that you're absolutely comfortable with the deal that's on offer from the investors. And can I say that we always need more government support? Always. Grant rates are low. It is difficult to make anything stack up in London. And then when you're talking about inflationary pressures... You know, we absolutely do need more grant support. A lot of us made grant settlements back three years ago. The environment was completely different. Mm. So we do need to have that open door with the GLA, with Homes England, and that realisation that grant rates that we were very comfortable with three years ago, of course, the world has changed. And just reflecting on that point as well regarding risk and how you're perceived in the market. So Mm. you're rating from the regulator has changed. Yes. You're now a V2 yes. alongside, which is the same as every other player pretty much in mm. the G15. But can you just explain to listeners what that means? Yes. And is there any for people to worry? Right. I think the first thing is that we are absolutely not worried by V2. Every association in G15 are now a V2. And I would say that any association that's developing homes which we are all, that is our strategic intent to develop new homes, will in all probability be a V2 going forward. Mm. So we are comfortable with V2. We would not be comfortable with G2. Mm. And we were very pleased that we maintained our G1 rating. And G, just for your listeners, Andrew, that is governance. So, you know, we are a well-governed, well-managed organization and you know we will continue to develop so Mm. but i guess there's a reality check that regulators need to have that if you are developing yes there is an acceptable and manageable level of risk Risk, always 
Yes. And I do, to be fair on the regulator, I think that they understand that. And, yeah. you know, I think the regulator is saying that we will see more VTs. I think going forward, we will see more VTs. And the question could be asked of those associations that are not developing and have capacity to do so. Why are they not developing? You know, we have a desperate housing shortage in this country and we shouldn't just be looking after today's residents. We should mm. be looking after the residents of tomorrow. Mm. The housing need does not go away. And in terms of today's residents, obviously with rates changing, the economy shifting, mm. it is getting more difficult for residents to access housing, not just social housing, not even just rental housing, but obviously home ownership as well. Yeah. And increasingly, I suppose over the last 10 years, L&Q, like most big RPs has typically been third, 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 haven't you, in terms Ooh. of affordable rental and market product. Shared ownership has been a big part of that growth story. And you see an opportunity now, don't you? I know I'm guessing because we've seen help to buy being taken away and getting on the housing ladder has become increasingly challenging. SO is potentially a silver bullet to some of these issues. Yeah. I mean, I'm a great fan of shared ownership. I do think it's a fantastic product, especially in high cost areas like London. We see the end of help to buy as being a real opportunity for shared ownership, more so in London than our stock that we're holding outside of the capital. So if you want to access housing, I think the choice between help to buy and the shared ownership would have been help to buy. Yeah. Now that option has gone away. So we see this as an opportunity for shared ownership. We also see it as a resilient sector. There are 24 lenders at the moment in the market with a multitude of product for the shared owners. My sales director just called me this morning and she said, good news, Vicky, seven of those lenders have just reduced their rates for shared owners. So, you know, it's a resilient product. We build it really well. It's aspirational. It allows people to live where they want to live. And I think if you're talking about successful communities, successful societies, they should be mixed. That's what makes for a great place to live. And I think anybody who lives in London, that's what we all love about it, isn't it? The diversity yeah. of where we live and the diversity of our neighbourhoods. And shared ownership really plays a huge part in that. And just finally, just on that diversity point, because I know it's something close to your heart, what does the sector need to do to continue to drive up not just gender diversity, mm. but diversity at all levels. And you've got a legally blind development manager in your team that you support, don't you, with government-funded support mm. that enables that gentleman to be fully active. And I mean, development's a difficult enough job when you can see, but to be able to do that blind is ridiculous. And as you know, this is something that we as an organisation are pushing with a campaign to look at invisible disability. But I'm interested for you as a director of a large organisation, how you've manage that supported that and what you've learned along the way yeah. that other people can replicate yeah well firstly can I congratulate you for starting this initiative I think it's long overdue in our industry and as you say that we have looked at ethnicity we've looked at gender mm. and all sorts of things and I do think disability has been a bit late to the races so I'm really encouraged that your firm is doing something to help in this space so we've got a chap called Felix Lynn who works for me. And as you say, he's registered blind. 
He has a whole host of really fantastic equipment. It's quite James Bondish, actually, all these different gadgets <laughs> that he has. He's got to, Aston uh, Martin that you drive around <laughs> sites in. Not as far as that, but it's a bit 007 with all of these sort of magnifying devices he has and computers that he has to help him with his role. I think what has surprised me in working with Felix is how much government support is available. Mm. So he has a personal assistant that's funded by government who really helps him with his day-to-day job. Much of the equipment that he has, you know, we do contribute as LNQ to that equipment, but a lot of it is government-backed as well. If you think about the amount of people with a stated disability, yeah. the actual figure in LNQ is really low. It's mm. about two or three percent yeah now that doesn't reflect society so i do think we have a real issue here are people not happy to say that they have a disability i sort of think back you know at the start of my career if somebody was homosexual they would often not want to declare it for certain reasons and i think we might be a bit there with disability that people feel that they can't be open and transparent when they're applying for a job because this will not help them in that application process So we want to get rid of that stigma of the stated disability and people coming forward and making a full contribution as Felix does within my team. Hmm. It'd be great to have Felix on at some point. Oh yeah, you must. And to talk about that. It's a fascinating opportunity and particularly in large organisations like LNQ. And then on the gender side, you know, we touched on the fact that there are no other executive development directors in the G15 and I can't really think of too many in wider property circles either Mm. what do you think needs to be done there i mean is it just that construction development seems a bit blokish is that (laughs) yeah it's strange isn't it because i ask myself that question often because there is no reason why women can't really flourish really get to the top in the development sphere i think that much of what we do is about negotiation Mm. and women are very skilled at that win-win which you need to get property deals over the line and you need to make things happen so I don't see the reason why I'm a great believer in that saying if I can see it I can be it so I think it's really important that we get more women to the top and then people can see it if you think of chief execs within G15 now. We have some great role models in Fiona Fletcher-Smith, my own boss, Geeta, Helen Evans, you know, fantastic women who are leading organisations. But the development field is still very male. Mm. So we do need to break that down. Within G15, we have a mentoring process. It's a cross-G15 initiative where women, senior women in the development field will mentor younger women coming up early in their career to help them with that mentoring, that coaching, confidence building, helping them with job applications, that sort of stuff. I hope that when you look at the statistics, we have a lot of women at head of level. We have a lot of women at director level. These women just need to push through and they need to get to be, you know, the executive level. Mm. There's no reason why not. Well, some good thinking there and hopefully people listening to this can find you and get in touch yeah, with you and, and, and I know yeah. you're very open to helping and talking to people yeah. so thank you for that and thank you for actually for coming on Propcast today it's been wonderful to speak to you on so you many too. different issues and look forward to seeing more of these JVs flourish over the next few years so thank you so much Vicky Savage Executive Director for Development and Sales for L&Q one of the UK's biggest housing associations and just for context I mean 1.1 billion a year of income I and mean, if you 
put that into the same spreadsheet. Uh, you're talking that you're bigger than Sainsbury's, so it's yes, a, you know, it's, yes. it's, a, it's a it's a big old organisation. So you've um, been speaking to Wacker, well, <laughs> my finance director. That is exactly the example he well, enjoys I, using. I, I often I often sort of say you know most housing associations are bigger than several land securities, and that's the other analogy we can use. But nevertheless, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's been wonderful to meet you, and you can obviously subscribe to Propcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll include a few links to some of these things that Vicky's mentioned in the article on propertyweek.com. And obviously do subscribe and keep checking propertyweek.com for the latest analysis and news on the industry. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Andrew Teacher, and we'll see you again soon.